Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you, and enjoy. Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast, What is the Difference Between the Two Shingles Vaccines? This is the third podcast in a series of three titled Taking Aim Against Shingles, Strategies for Success. It's my pleasure today to introduce Dr. M. Susan Burke. She is Clinical Associate Professor of Medicine at Sidney Kimmel Medical College at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Senior Advisor of Lankanaw Medical Associates at the Lankanaw Medical Center in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Now I'll turn it over to Dr. Burke. Thank you, Lee. In this podcast, we'll review the 2019 ACIP recommendations for vaccination against zoster. We'll discuss the safety and efficacy of zoster vaccines, their key differences, dosing, storage, and so forth. What are the ACIP age recommendations because they're different between the two vaccines? And then we'll end with a brief discussion on the importance of provider recommendations on vaccine uptake. By way of quick overview, 99% of adults in the U.S. over the age of 40 have had chickenpox and are therefore at risk to developing herpes zoster or shingles. Interestingly, even if you've had shingles, you're not immune to getting it again. We used to think that. There was a study by Hope Simpson in the early 60s that said, well, your chance of getting shingles again is about 5% or less. We now know that as we live longer, because in the 60s we didn't live that long, or you know, our life expectancy was much shorter than it is now, more recent studies have shown that we have at least a six or more percent recurrence rate after eight years after having herpes zoster. So this is much higher than originally thought. So as we look at the indications for the zoster vaccine, even someone who has had shingles qualifies to get immunized against shingles. In the earlier podcast, we described some of the terrible consequences associated with this disease. And I've also been alluding to the way we can prevent this from happening in our vaccinated patients starting at age 50. So let's dig into this now. How many vaccines are there to prevent herpes zoster? There are two shingles vaccines. There's the older live vaccine, or Zostavax, also referred to as ZVL, and the new recombinant vaccine, or Shinrix, also referred to as um, RZV, or the subunit vaccine. So I will be 
alluding to these two vaccines as the older live vaccine or the new recombinant vaccine. The older live vaccine, or as I say, Zostavax, or Zoster vaccine live, was a one-dose vaccine recommended by the ACIP, the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, in 2005 for patients age 60 and older. Because it was a live attenuated vaccine with the same varicella virus strain as in the varicella vaccine given to children, it was contraindicated in immunocompromised individuals. Its overall efficacy was 51% in preventing zoster from happening. By 2016, about a third of adults over the age of 60 reported receipt of this vaccine. The other vaccine is the new recombinant zoster vaccine, Shinrix, also called RZV, or the adjuvanted or herpes zoster subunit vaccine. This is the two-dose vaccine studied in clinical trials in immunocompetent patients, 50 and older, and recommended to be given at zero and then at two to six months. This is very important. It's a two-dose vaccine. It is not a law vaccine. The ACIP has given the recombinant vaccine a preferential recommendation over the older live vaccine. And this is important since up to a third of adults over 60 have received the older live vaccine. The new recombinant vaccine can be given if the patient already had that vac older vaccine. And this is important for a couple of reasons that we're going to see later, but the main one is that the older live vaccine loses its, its efficacy over four to five years. So those patients, they benefited from the vaccine when they got it, but the effectiveness attenuates over time. And that's so important, and it's a reason to vaccinate everyone with the new recombinant vaccine. If Zoster Vaccine Live is an attenuated vaccine of the varicella virus, what is the recombinant or subunit vaccine exactly, and how does it work? The new recombinant zoster vaccine does not contain a live virus. It has varicella zoster virus glycoprotein E antigen, as well as a novel adjuvant system to really boost one's immunity against the varicella zoster virus. In addition to this tremendous immunity boost seen against developing herpes zoster, it does induce a more local reaction, and approximately 13% of recipients also may experience flu-like symptoms for two to three days after receiving the vaccine, compared to the side effects seen with the old live vaccine and other vaccines that we are used to using. Because of this, I always tell patients that this can occur, so they're better aware of it if it does develop. It is certainly better than if they would develop shingles. Are there differences in how these vaccines are given? Yes. So to review, the old vaccine was stored in the freezer. It was one vial of vaccine and one vial of a sterile water diluent 
and it was administered sub-Q to patients over the age of 60. The new recombinant vaccine is stored in the refrigerator, so there's an advantage for those offices that do not have a freezer capability. Its packaging includes one vial of virus antigen and one vial of adjuvant, and those have to be mixed together, and it's administered IM. The two doses should be spaced uh, two to six months apart, and it's recommended by the ACIP for those 50 and older. Are the two vaccines equally effective? No, and this is the main reason why the ACIP has given preferential status to the new recombinant vaccine. There are significant differences between the two vaccines with regard to efficacy. So looking at the old live vaccine in a large clinical trial, the old vaccine showed an overall 51% reduction in shingles in those over the age of 60 with lesser efficacy seen in the older population when you did subgroup analyses. The new recombinant vaccine was studied in immunocompetent patients 50 and older and showed a very consistent 91 to 96 percent reduction in zoster in all age groups, including those over age 80, which is what drove the ACIP preferential recommendation of this vaccine. Is one vaccine better than the other in reducing post-herpetic neuralgia? Yes. Again, the older live vaccine was around 66% effective in reducing PHN, while the new recombinant vaccine reduced PHN 100% in those 50 to 59, and the overall age population and overall efficacy of about 90% at reducing PHN. How long does the effectiveness last for these vaccines? Well, as I uh, mentioned earlier, for the live vaccine, the old live vaccine, the effectiveness in preventing an episode of shingles was highest in the first year, around 50%, but was found to essentially lose its pr protective effect around four to five years after vaccination. The new recombinant vaccine is significantly more efficacious over four years with efficacy of over 97% in the first year and maintaining 85% or greater efficacy for at least four years for all ages. So quite a difference. Are there any issues a clinician should be aware of regarding the two-shot recombinant vaccine? Yes. Um, in the early months, because there are two vaccines, I think there was some confusion. There were many reports of administration errors submitted to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System. For example, the new recombinant was erroneously given sub-Q rather than IM. It should be given IM. Some patients were given instructions for the old live vaccine instead of for the new recombinant vaccine. And most importantly, unfortunately, they were not being told to return for that second dose. The efficacy in the clinical trials require that two doses be given of the new recombinant vaccine between two and six months apart. The new vaccine was frozen when it shouldn't be, 
and um, administration of only the adjuvant component was also reported. So there were some mix-ups early on. I think some of these are kind of calming down, but I think it's important to make sure your staff is aware of how this new recombinant vaccine needs to be administered. The ACIP has given us some additional recommendations for the new recombinant vaccine. Remember to give the second dose between two to six months later. Efficacy of alternative dosing regimens hasn't been studied, so it's not recommended. One thing we do know is not to give the second dose less than four weeks after the first dose. If that would happen, the second dose has to be repeated. As with other vaccines given in a series, the new recombinant zoster vaccine does not need to be restarted if more than six months have lapsed since the first dose. Just know to recommend that they get it as soon as possible because they might not have full immunity after just one dose. Also, as I mentioned earlier, since the old zoster vaccine basically loses its effectiveness after around four or five years, all individuals who receive the old vaccine are eligible and recommended by the ACIP to receive the new recombinant zoster vaccine any time after two months from their original old zoster vaccine uh, that they received before. Can you give the recombinant zoster vaccine with any other vaccines at the same time? Yes, here too we have some guidance from the ACIP the new recombinant uh, zoster vaccine can be administered concomitantly at different anatomic sites. Uh, for example, with uh, other adult vaccines like Fluorix quadrivalent, and the CDC also allows it to be given with uh, the pneumococcal vaccine at the same time if the person is eligible for both at the time of that visit. Studies of co-administration with other vaccines such as Tdap are ongoing. You stated that the recombinant zoster vaccine is not a live vaccine and has been studied in and recommended for immunocompetent patients. What about someone who is immunosuppressed with HIV or another condition? The ACIP has given us some guidance on this as well. It recommends the use of the recombinant vaccine in persons taking low-dose immunosuppressive therapy, say someone's on less than 20 milligrams of prednisone or its equivalent. So certainly inhaled or topical steroids are fine. And, you know, I just had this case come up the other day where someone was on 5 milligrams of prednisone. That is not a contraindication. and We gave them the new recombinant vaccine that day. Persons anticipating immunosuppression, I really try to give this vaccine before they get into that immunosuppressive state. Say you know they're going to be getting chemo or a biologic, which may affect their immunity. Try and vaccinate them at the time of diagnosis and before immunosuppression is started. Also, someone who has recovered from immunocompromising illness can and should receive this vaccine. Note that immunocompromised persons and those on moderate to high doses of immunosuppressive therapy were excluded from the pivotal efficacy trials of the new recombinant zoster vaccine that were published. 
trials on these patients are still ongoing. So, Doctor, what are your final thoughts? My final thoughts are that shingles is not something that I really want any of my patients to have. Shingles can lead to a severe painful illness that can persist for months to years. The severity of the illness and the chance for long-term sequelae such as posterpedic neuralgia increase with age. So to prevent herpes zoster, the ACIP preferentially recommends the new recombinant zoster vaccine given as two shots, IM, two to six months apart for immunocompetent individuals 50 and older. Remember that 31% of the U.S. population 60 and older have followed ACIP recommendations and received the old live zoster vaccine over the last 14 years or so. So a significant fraction of these recipients now have very low vaccine protection from zoster and PHN compared to the new recombinant zoster vaccine. This new recombinant vaccine is recommended for immunocompetent adults previously vaccinated with the old live vaccine, and the ACIP recommendation is actually that the interval can be two months or greater. It doesn't have to be that you wait a long time uh, to give the new recombinant vaccine to an eligible immunocompetent adult 50 and older. Finally, remember that no vaccine is going to work if it's not recommended or given to a patient. We as clinicians must offer a recommendation. It's one of the most important reasons a patient will accept a vaccine. We should not wait for a patient to ask for vaccines. To paraphrase my mother, they don't know what's good for them. They don't know what's out there for them, and they, they may not even be aware that they should be vaccinated, not just for zoster, against zoster, but against other vaccine-preventable diseases. This is our job, to educate our patients, to strongly recommend a vaccine. We need to be proactive and offer these vaccines at every opportunity to give our patients the best protection possible. This has been an exciting discussion, and we are delighted that you have participated. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listened to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit. Be sure to check out the first two installments in this series, Who is at Risk for Shingles and Why?, and why is it important to prevent shingles on www.primed.com. We thank you again for joining Primed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com podcast. That's pri-med.com podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.